Praise the Lord. Uh, Ariel, would you like to share a word this morning? actually kind of funny because I was a little nervous about sharing it. I just don't usually like to, <laughs> to just stand up here and grab the mic, but um, I, uh, it was actually a kind of a confirmation because uh, what um, Josh and um, uh, Jason were sharing was very um, much alongside of what I was, the Holy Spirit was sharing with me over um, worship time. And uh, he started, to, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot lately about um, pain and suffering and I've, you know, I've got friends and family who are going through things right now, and I know that there's so many people in our church who are going through things. And one of the most common questions that like, I always have heard people ask is, why would God let me go through these things? Why does God allow for pain and suffering? And um, I think sometimes we forget that um, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross for us. And when he did, all of heaven wailed and, and wept in sorrow and pain, and they felt that. They knew that he had to go through it. Regardless, though, they, God didn't want to watch his only son go through the most painful and horrific thing. But he knew that if he didn't, that we wouldn't be able to reap the benefits of what that meant for us. And if God himself is willing to put himself through the worst pain imaginable, losing your child, watching your child suffer, how much more are we willing, if we want to be like God and we want to know his heart and to feel everything that God has felt, and to know how powerful that his, his love is and how powerful um, his, uh, his strength is when we are going through the fire, that we're not going through the fire alone. That God, God's allowing us to go through fire because we have to, because we have to reap the benefits of what we're going to learn in the fire. And the thing, I think the thing that we forget the most is that that's okay and that Jesus is there with us. And we're going through pain, and he went through pain and I want to go through everything the Father went through personally. I want to, to know his heart so closely that I don't mind the pain because I know that it means that there's something better on the other side. And that's what I felt the Lord was just sharing with me this morning. So I hope that spoke to somebody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He is trying to um, pull everybody together. How many know that uh, Israel has had over a thousand rockets shot in? Um, from uh, Gaza Strip and their enemies that are around them. And uh, anytime Israel tries or attempts to protect themselves or root out terrorists, then the, uh, there's a large portion of the world that is critical of that. You know, just imagine if Texas right now had a thousand rockets um, being shot into Texas from Mexico or or, or up in the north. Canada had a thousand rockets shot into the community and people were uh, killed. How many know that people are dying uh, from the sudden shooting of rockets? Well, Lyndon's trying to pull all these pastors together, and uh, um, this is Solidarity Sunday, which means that uh, he wants all the churches praying for Israel. And uh, he's actually sending me a bunch more pins down. How many got the pin that says Israel and United States on it uh, when Brother Lyndon was here? Um, he said, if you would, have them wear that pen during the week and uh, every time they see that on their lapel, uh, pray for Israel. And so he's going to send me some more down and so I'll have some on the counter out there soon where more people can get them. But I mean, no, the Bible says uh, pray for the peace of Israel. And so we're going to do that before our service and uh, we're going to try to remember to do that regularly. So uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, Uh, We pray for Israel, Lord. 
Lord, we pray for the tensions, Lord. We pray for the violence, Lord. We uh, pray for the leaders, Lord, on both sides, Lord, that you would, um, Lord, that you would uh, protect uh, those people that are in that area, Lord, protect Israel. Father, I pray for our nation, Lord, as we um, show support for them. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would um, put your hand upon them, Lord. And um, Lord, give them wisdom uh, to deal with people that um, are terrorists, Lord God. And uh, that you would give them wisdom, Lord, in dealing with those situations. And um, Lord, that they'd be led by the Spirit, Lord God, that the that you would have your hand upon them and you would protect them and keep them, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Continue to pray for Israel during the week. title of my sermon is The Good Fight. 1 Timothy 6.11 says this, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made. You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then skip down to verse 14. It says, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8 says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this appearing and his kingdom. Do you notice he said it again? In view of his appearing and his kingdom. That's the rapture, the appearing of Christ in his glory and his kingdom. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn toward myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, work like an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering." And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also those who have longed for his, what? Appearing. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray right now that your word would be delivered, Lord. Uh, Lord, that I would be moved completely out of the way, Lord, and uh, your word would be delivered today, Lord. And uh, we ask all these things in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The title is uh, The Good Fight. And so this is an interesting two scriptures here. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is the first time he calls Timothy the man of God. And then... Second Timothy, Paul's about to die. He's just told Timothy, first Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. He's trying to teach him how to fight the good fight. And then in second Timothy, Paul is actually about to die. These are his last words before he dies. And so he says again, I have fought the good fight. 
I'm at the end now. And it wouldn't be very much longer that they would actually cut Paul's head off. He was executed by the Roman authorities. And so the title of my message is The Good Fight. And I want to ask you today, are you a good fight? There was a story several years ago. Um, my younger brother, Seth, some of you know Seth, he was driving home uh, with the Purdy's. And him and Jay were good buddies, uh, Jack Purdy's son. How many know Jack? I know a lot of people in here know Jack. And they were driving home, and they were driving by the tavern that is right by Cornerstone there on Cratsville, and there was a fist fight. And so Jack pulled over in the parking lot, and uh, the guy was beating the other guy up pretty good. And he said, uh, he pulled over, and, and I always thought it was a funny story, and Seth was telling me a story. You know, Jack's a big, rugged guy, worked construction his whole life, and and uh, he told the guy, he said, he said, leave him alone. He said, he's had enough. He said, you've beaten him up already. He's had enough. And the guy came over to his window and uh, nearly grabbed a hold of him and said, uh, he said, uh, he, 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 he told Jack he wanted to fight him. And Jack grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him in his car. And he said, sir, he said, I would uh, walk over a good, he said, I'll walk over you to get to a good fight. And then threw him back out the window and the guy walked away. (laughs) But let me ask you something. Are you a good fight? Because Paul is saying, fight the good fight. But the question is, are we even a good fight? Um, There was in my locker room when I was in high school, when I played football, they, um, the coaches try to build tradition. They try to build attitudes, um, within a team that is deeper than just yourself. Because if it's just you and you're just fighting for yourself, you won't fight nearly as hard as you'll fight for something bigger, like your teammates or for your school. Or And so coaches are constantly in a team sport trying to get people to fight. And so one of the things we had in our locker room, and boy, we definitely needed a change of culture because it wasn't a winning program. And we established a foundation of a team that you didn't want to play because we were a tough fight. I mean, if you were going to beat us, you would have been beaten up by the time you got out. And we really were, we were considered the best team in 11-man football at that school had ever had by the time we graduated. But one of the things he put on the wall was, um, when you walk out the wall uh, to go to the game, you would slap the wall and there was a thing there that said, play like a champion today. How many have ever heard that slogan before? Well, in the 80s and 90s, Lou Holtz went to Notre Dame. And when he came to become the coach of Notre Dame, he started checking out their history. And Notre Dame has a storied history, one of the greatest football histories um, in the country. And they'd won a lot of national championships, mostly in the past. And so as he was studying those championship teams, he noticed a slogan that they had back in the days they were winning championships, and that was play like a champion today. And so he put it up on the wall. And so every player that ever walked by that sign would slap that on the way out. And what it meant was, don't play for yourself, play for something bigger. And when you look in the mirror, look at that jersey and see the fighting Irish. They fight. They will fight you. They won't win every game. But if you're going to beat the fighting Irish, you're going to have to beat every one of them. You're going to walk out of that place knowing that you've been in a fight. And you know, as Christians, sometimes we don't have any fight. 
Paul's saying, fight the good fight. And he wants us to recognize what it means to fight. And so not only does he say it, in fact, he says it again. This is how thoroughly he's trying to explain it. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies made about you. So by following them, you may fight the good fight. Holding on to the faith in a good conscience, some have rejected this and have been shipwrecked from their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme God. Then he goes to chapter 6 and he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. And then... This is probably, in fact, let me explain where Paul's at at this time. Paul's been in, it's in between two prison stints. Okay, Paul's been in prison around 62 AD. And when he's in prison, the first prison stint is much different than the second one. The first one, he's in a rented house. He's allowed to have friends visit. Uh, It's a much better environment. Then he's released He goes on a fourth missionary journey, which is not really recorded where he went on the fourth one. And then now he's been arrested in 2 Timothy. He's actually chained in a dungeon, dark, you know, much more um, uh, difficult environment. He really doesn't have visitors. Everybody has abandoned him except for a few people. And Paul knows he's about to be executed. And so 2 Timothy is a very big book. There's about four years between the two books. 1 Timothy is kind of on the you know, nicer holding facility, a rented house. The second one, he's in a dungeon, and he knows he's about to be executed. So how many know that Paul's words are very important when he uh, is, knows he's about to be executed, he's giving his last words? And so he, he says, in fact, when he says it in chapter 1, it actually means War the good warfare. The second time he says it, it's fight the good fight. That, that means agonize. Is the, the Greek word is actually agonize. Fight the good fight. You know, agonize over the agony and fight like crazy and, and don't, you know, take hold of what you've been called to do. And so he gives him some advice. And the first thing that I think is very interesting is he uses this word, but as for you, Oh, man of God, he's trying to teach Timothy how to fight. I mean, people think it's important to learn how to fight as a Christian. So the first thing he does is he calls him the man of God. And man of God is not a term that's very familiar with the New Testament. In fact, it's only used in uh, Timothy. He calls him a man of God. So... What a term to use. How would you like your name to be God's man? Man of God, woman of God, God's woman, God's man. In the Old Testament, we see it used quite a bit. In fact, if you're studying with me right now through the book of Kings, you see several people. In fact, a prophet named Shemaiah, he came to Rehoboam and he was called the man of God. Moses several times is called the man of God. Um, There's a prophet that comes to Jeroboam. And his name is just man of God. He doesn't even have a name. They just call him the man of God from Judah. Uh, Elijah is called the man of God. Elisha is called the man of God. And so what is this man of God? 
This man or it could be woman of God is just simply somebody God entrusts to bring His Word to the people. God is entrusting this person to bring His Word to the people. And so Paul calls him the man of God. And you say, well, what's that have to do with me? You know, he's the man of God because he's the minister and Paul's actually sending him to Ephesus to pastor that church and that's where he's been and he's been Paul's companion since the beginning. But then later, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.17, while Paul's writing this letter in this dungeon, he says, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, no, there he's not talking specifically about Timothy. He's talking about everybody who delivers his gospel, preaches his word to the people that are around us. So the first thing you have to learn when you, when, when you ask the question, how do I fight? Okay, and everybody should be asking themselves that question. How do I fight like Paul's telling me to fight? Because the alternative is not to fight. And he said many people, their faith has become shipwrecked. How many know that that's happening all around us? People's faith are being shipwrecked. They're not fighting at all. Not putting up a fight at all. And so the first thing you need to do is to look in the mirror and understand the Word of God and the Spirit of God have been given you, and you are the man and the woman of God. And how many people get up in the morning and can look in the mirror and say, Hey, woman of God. Hey, man of God. Are you not the one who's entrusted to deliver His message to the people? You say, well, Chad, you could just go to work for me. You could just go to my neighbor or my friends or no, no, no. When you put on that fighting Irish uniform and you slap the wall that says play like a champion today, you know what that means? That means you need to look in the mirror, look at that jersey and know that you're playing for something bigger than yourself. And so church, the first step to learning how to fight is to learn out who you are. Like, do you get up in the morning and say, you know what, fight a good fight today. Walk out with your, in fact, uh, he's sending Timothy to pastor the Ephesian church. And what did he tell the Ephesian church? Every day, get up, put on your armor. Put your sword, breastplate of righteousness. You cover your legs, you cover your chest, you put on your sword, you put on your belt, you put on your helmet of salvation. How many know that he wrote that to the church that Timothy's been sent to pastor? And so God in the Spirit wants us to recognize that we have a mission every day. And so why would God dress you up in military garments if you're not getting ready to go into a fight? And so we need to get up every day and we need to, something much bigger than the fighting Irish slapping that wall and saying, play like a champion today. We need to look in the mirror and say, fight a good fight today. Fight a good fight today. Like, am I doing what God has called me to do as the man of God or the woman of God? Am I a warrior? Am I a person that's even in the fight? And that's my question. One of the worst things you can run into, and one of the reasons why coaches talk this way, in fact, if it bothers you that I give sporting analogies a lot, you you probably can't read Paul. 
Because almost everything he does, it's about running a race. It's about a boxer fighting. It's about a battle, fighting, exercise, you know, get ready. You know, or if it's not that, it's a farmer planting and sowing and reaping and hard work and persistence. And uh, But Paul's given us an analogy here. And one of the worst things you can run into is you, you play a team, and, and we've all played these teams, you score a touchdown in the very beginning of the game and go up seven to nothing or fourteen to nothing, and guess what? Some teams do. There's no fight in them. They just give up, and the next thing you know, it's forty-nine to nothing. The next thing you know, you have your JV in. The next thing you know, you got your freshman in. How much you seen this? JV's playing, freshman playing, because there's absolutely no fight in them whatsoever. Um, you can see in, in boxing, they have what's called bums. You know what a bum is? That's a guy that a person builds his record up with and they just literally get paid to get beat up. They take the money to pad somebody's record and it's even better if they look strong. They look strong or they look like a worthy opponent and they're just people that have no heart. They're bums is what they call them because they take a paycheck to pad somebody's record. That's why you see a guy that's 11-0 and 0 and really hasn't fought anybody because he's fought what's known as bums. They're not throwing the fight. They're just not putting up a fight. And you know, sometimes as a Christian, that's what we do. We don't put up any fight. And what God wants us to do is to the very last day, here's Paul on his deathbed. And he's saying, I have fought the good fight. To the very last day, I've fought And here I am about to die, and I can say I fought the good fight. And that's what God wants us to do to the very end, fight, and know that you've been in a fight. And if enemy's been in a fight with you, he should know it. All right, you say, well, he would know he fought me. Really? Have you really fought him that aggressively that he knows he's been in a fight with you? Because that's what Paul's calling us to do. Know that he's been in a fight. Fight the good fight... Like I said, we need to ask the question, am I a good fight? Am I a good fight? Amen? Amen. So the second thing, in order to fight a good fight is, number one, you got to know what you're fighting for, and it's not just you, it's the kingdom that you're fighting for. You're God's man or you're God's woman, and we got to go into the world and just be ready to fight every day. The second thing is, if I'm going to fight, what do I do? What am I fighting? You know, it's hard to have a fight if you don't even know where the fight's at. And then it's hard to evaluate, am I in the fight if, 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 if I don't know where the fight's at? And some people that say they're Christians don't even know where the fight's at. How many of you think that's true? They're like, I don't know, have I been in the fight? I don't know, am I fighting? What is the deal here? Is there even a fight? And some Christians, get this, there's not even a fight. You say, well, Chad, you just like fighting. No, I'm just reading the, reading the Bible, but yeah, I kind of do. But. <laughs> but he gives five things here. The first thing he says is, O man of God, flee from these things. That's an odd thing to say when you're a fighter. The first thing he says, man of God, flee from these things. The reason why is he's giving a contrast. The first um, 11 chapters, he's giving a contrast between those who aren't Christians, false ministers, false teachers, false gospels, 
And he's saying, flee from those things. How many of you know one way to know you're in the fight is what you run from? In fact, the word is, um, the word is fugia in the Greek, the fleeing from, and it's the same word we get the word fugitive. So Paul's saying the first way you fight a good fight is run. <laughs> okay. Run from all the things that they're doing. He's giving a contrast. Here's what a Christian and how he fights. And here's how the world does it. And so one way you know you're in the fight and you say, well, how is fleeing fighting? Well, have you ever fought sin? You ever fought against temptation? The way you fight from temptation, the number one way to do it is to stay away from it. And there's going to be all kinds of things in the Christian life. And you say, well, man, I'm going to fight them all. I'm going to win. Then I'm going to live the rest of my life without anything that I'm fighting. Can I tell you something? You're going to be fighting. You're going to be winning by the grace of God, the mercy of God. But you're always going to have fight. You're going to have to get up every day, grab your sword, grab your gear. And you're going to have to fight against those things that are wrong. He's saying flee from the wrong. That's number one. Flee from the wrong. So you're always going to be looking. And and if you're in the fight and you're fighting the good fight, you're always going to be finding things that aren't pleasing to the Lord. The Holy Spirit's just going to be telling you, hey, that attitude is not pleasing to the Lord. The way you said that is not pleasing to the Lord. That thing that you want to do is not pleasing to the Lord. And if you're a Christian and you're fighting the good fight, which I want to fight to the last day, I don't want to be the one that fought it and then shipwrecked and quit and give up. But if you're fighting the good fight, you always have that sword and you always have that helmet of salvation. You always have that breastplate of righteousness and you're always seeing what can I be a fugitive from? What can I leave in the past? What is not pleasing to God? How many know that's a fight? That's a big fight. You say, well, man, I've been fighting that really hard and let's continue. to. Fight. In fact, we need to get up in the morning and say, man. Look in the mirror and say, I'm going to fight like a champion. I'm going to fight like a champion today. Christ died for my sins. And now for the rest of my life, the least that I can do is fight. And flee from what is wicked and what is evil and what is unrighteous. But you know, it's not enough just to flee from wrong. It's not enough. In fact, I ask uh, my boys sometimes, I say, well, you know, is that person a Christian? He said, well, they don't cuss. You know, they don't drink, they don't, uh, they go to church, uh, and see what you don't do doesn't necessarily mean you're fighting the good fight. Because if you don't do something, you have to replace that with the right thing. And so let me give you an example. If the Bible says you shall have no other gods before you, it's not enough to say that I don't serve false gods. How many know that? You haven't completed the task. The complete task is, I worship the Lord. That's doing the right thing is worshiping the Lord. Doing a good thing is not worshiping other gods. But if you've gotten rid of all false gods and you don't worship false gods and you still don't worship the worship God of heaven, what does it do? You say, well, the Bible says not to lie. I quit lying. I stay silent now. I don't say anything. 
You haven't completed the task until you start telling the truth. You know, if you're, whatever it is that you're trying to flee from, you've got to embrace the right thing before that's a completed task. And what God wants us to do is pursue righteousness. You say, well, man, you know what? I've got all kinds of guidelines to make sure I don't fall into sexual temptation. But have you pursued righteousness? You say, well, what's the difference? Well, pursuing righteousness is not only do I want to not avoid bad things, but I want to pursue the right thing. Like I want to actively pursue the right things that God's called me to do in life. And that's what it means to fight a good fight. Because he says now, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And then one little word there, he says, pursue. So flee these things, be a fugitive to sin. But now he says, pursue something. So if you want to learn how to fight and fight a good fight, let's figure out what we should pursue. And so he says, pursue. Remember, he's trying to teach Timothy how to fight and not be shipwrecked in his faith. So he says, pursue righteousness. Righteousness is a big word. It just means doing the right thing by God. Not doing the right thing by the culture. Not doing the right thing by a lot of other standards. It's, it's, it's what's the right thing that God wants you to do in your life? What should I be pursuing? Because the Bible says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. God will give you the desires of your heart because your desires are lined up with his desires. And so he says, pursue righteousness. Then he says, pursue godliness. Godliness means my desire to want to be like God. And I was talking to a, um, I was talking to a couple people the other day and they were just, man, they were arguing really badly and tearing each other apart. And, and, um, they were just trying to say that I, they, they have to live together. Okay. They're married couple, but they were tearing each other apart. They were bringing up things, hurting each other, harming each other. And just the Lord was kind of leading me to help. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit just told me, you've got to start acting like God would act in that situation. Like God speaks to us with grace. He doesn't look at us and say, Look at all the bad things you've done your whole life. He doesn't say, look how you messed up when you were six. Look how you messed up when you were ten. Look what you did as a teenager. How many are glad God doesn't do that? And um, God has called us to be His man or His woman of God, right? So we need to start speaking like He speaks. That's what godliness is. That means I'm going to speak to people with grace I'm going to speak to people with mercy. I'm not going to hold the past against them. How many think that a lot of homes would be healed if people spoke to each other with grace and mercy? In fact, God's told me in the past when I've had trouble with people that I couldn't talk to like that, um, He said, speak to them as if they were perfect. Which is how He speaks to us. He says, if it's a mom and a dad, and you've got trouble and you can't get along with them and you can't love them, Speak to them as if they were a perfect mom and a perfect dad. I mean, oh, that's crazy. 
But how many know you'll honor their birthday? You'll love them as if they were perfect? And how many know it'll heal, heal the relationship? And you say, well, aren't we supposed to speak about sin? Yes, we are. We're supposed to be honest and truthful, but, but in love and kindness, sometimes, how many know that gets in the way of loving people? Sometimes we're so harsh, we don't understand how to show love and grace and mercy. And this is what he says, godliness, pursue godliness. He says, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. So God wants us to pursue godliness. He wants us to pursue faith. Now what is faith? That means that I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I'm going to trust God for everything in my life. I'm going to have confidence in God. So fighting the good fight is godliness in my life, trying to behave. How many remember the saying, um, what would Jesus do? And that's what godliness is. Faith is looking in the mirror every day and saying, you know what, God's got this. How many think if we did that every day? We looked in the mirror, and no matter what the circumstance was in our life, we said, God, you've got this. I put this in your hands. In fact, Paul will go on later and talk about contentment, like being content with your life and walking in contentment and godliness. Love. Paul says in order to fight the good fight, he has to walk in love. Now you imagine how deep this love is. We don't even understand it. How can you be on a cross? And I've always said, we don't even recognize the cruelty of a cross. You know, and one way I can explain the cruelty is I know I have a lot of animal lovers in here. How many would take a dog, nail its paws to a tree, spear it in the side, let its guts roll out? How many think that's the cruelest thing you could do to a dog? Well, what if it's not a dog? What if it's God himself? How cruel is that? That he came to this world, gave every single sign and miracle that he was God, and what do we do to him collectively? We nail every appendage he has to a tree, spear his side, rip his beard out, spit on him, everything. You say, well, man, I wouldn't do that. But look at him on the cross and what's he do? He says, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the love that the God of heaven showed to the cruel treatment that we gave him. You say, well, what's that have to do with me? <laughs> Glad you ask. If we're going to fight the good fight, how many know it's agonizing this fight? Then every day we have to get up and love people. Every day we have to get up, look in the mirror, slap the wall and say, fight like a champion today, Chad. What does it mean to fight like a champion? Have faith. What does it mean to fight like a champion? Be godly. What does it mean to fight like a champion? Love people who are trying to destroy you. And how many know that's been agonizing for me? Um, I'm the only one. Um, My instincts have been to fight. And so it's been an agonizing 25 years, you know. Um, My wife will tell you it's not easy for me. Somebody just laughs a little at you the wrong way or says something the wrong way. I promise you, I used to, 
As a teenager, my wife would get so annoyed because there wasn't hardly a room I could walk in that I didn't think somebody wanted to fight me. I'm just telling you the absolute truth. I was a fighter, and I enjoyed it, and and it was something I thought was a great thing, and then God suddenly said, you can't live that way anymore. And so it's been agonizing every day to take that that military armor and just say, I'm going to live and fight like a champion today. And that means I have to love everybody. <laughs> How many are up for the fight? Some of you, there's no fight in you. It's like, I ain't doing that. I'm who I am. I'm exactly who I am and I'm not changing. Well, you're not in the fight. You're not much of a fight, right? We've got to be in the fight. So pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness or endurance or persistence. We heard a lot about this one this morning. That's hupomone in the Greek. And it literally means to bear up and remain under through great stress. It means you're persistent, steadfast, or enduring. This means under severe trials. Okay, so look in the mirror. Fight the good fight. Fight like a champion today. When I get up, here's part of my... Where is the fight at? Where is the fight? Let me, let me go through the list again. You're in a fight if you're fighting for righteousness. Okay, that means that God, search my heart, show me where I need to change, and we're fighting like crazy to change, to have righteousness, His righteousness. Not mine, His every day. That's a fight you've been in. It's a fight to be godly, to be like Him, you know, to treat people like God treats people. You know, to love people like God loved people. Faith is a fight. Love is a fight. Now he's saying endurance is part of the fight. How many have ever went through something hard? In fact, I can promise you the hard things that we go through is where we grow. This is where your faith deepens. This is where you get more mature. It's where God builds character. But some of you have disappeared from the fight. You're not much of a fight. Satan gets up on the scoreboard, you give up. In fact, the quote that um, Lou Holtz had was, I really like, that sign that he put up, it says, regardless of your win-loss record, regardless of the problems you have when you walk out on the field, you have an obligation to your teammates and the fans to play the best of your ability to play like a champion. The Bible says that we should endure hard times as discipline from God. And it goes on to say He's the Father that loves us enough to discipline us. And so the question is, are we even in the fight? Because what happens a lot of times when Christians go through hard times? Like what happens if you have three cars and all of them break down and you fix all three of them and then one of the three breaks down again? Are you like, it's okay. Do you have the joy that Paul has when he's writing this in a prison? He's in a dungeon. He's about to be executed. And everywhere Paul goes, how many know there's joy? There's joy. He's singing and worshiping and praising, thanking God that he can endure trials. And the Bible's, Bible's telling us, fight like Paul fought. He fought to the very end. His sword was still in his hand. And he was executed and fought to the very very end. And God's telling us when you go through hard times, do it like a champion. 
How many do that like a champion? How many can say, I do it like a champion, man? When things go out, things go bad, I just know that God's got this and, and I'm joyful and I'm happy and I'm praising God. Hupanome is what I am. I'm the one that was during under stress and playing like a champion today. And you know the world's watching you. Sometimes that's where we get shipwrecked. We say, well, how could God let this happen to me? Well, how could God let this happen? You know, you know, I'm doing so well trying to serve the Lord. And, and sometimes that's how you know you're doing well in serving the Lord because hard times do come our way. Amen. Fight like a champion. Hallelujah. Last thing is gentleness. This is humility and this is humbleness. And this is something we miss a lot because a lot of the reasons we fail is because it's all about us. I'm going to repeat that. Sometimes the reason we fail, it's because it's all about us. Some have not gotten over that in our walk. It's just obvious. There's no humility. There's no humbleness. There's no gentleness. And what Paul, do you notice that Paul never takes a personal pity party? He's never like, oh, poor Paul. You know, Paul's been beaten so many times. I've been shipwrecked and... It's like, God, how could you do this to the person who loves you and has given his life for you? And it's never about Paul. Do you ever notice that? Jesus, it was never about him. It was always about the mission. It was always about what God's doing in this world. It was always about the bigger picture of what God is doing. It was never focused on him being above the fray. And so what God's calling us to do is that same humility, that same humbleness, that same... How many know that a lot of times we're just pouting is all we're doing? We're walking around pouting, woe is me, woe is me, this happened to me, that happened to me. And God's saying, no, have a humility and gentleness to understand that God... In fact, the Bible says, be humble under His mighty hand. All right, sometimes His hand is a little heavier and a little mightier than we had hoped for, right? But how many know God's got His hand on our life? God is doing something great in our life. God is answering every prayer that we pray um, for revival. God is uh, answering every prayer that we pray for family. But sometimes we're resistant when He moves on our life. We're resistant when He moves on our life because it's all about me. And it's not about what is God doing in our midst to prepare me. Okay? How many know that Paul needed... Everything in his life that God did. In fact, I'm glad Paul went to prison. I hate to say it. I'm glad Paul was in a dungeon. I'm glad he was in prison because, I mean, you know, most of the New Testament was written from prison. <laughs> okay? He had a lot of time on his hands. He didn't have a whole lot of places to go while he was incarcerated. And so God was accomplishing his will through all these things. But had Paul said, woe is me, I'm not following you anymore. Look what he's done to me. And boy, we do that really quickly. You know, one little thing happens and we say, well, man, it's all about me, God. It's not about what you're doing in me. And so one way to fight the fight is, is to just be humbled and humiliated and say, God, uh, I'm, I'm, um, oh, what's the word Paul uses later? I'm um, content in godliness is what Paul calls it. Um, the next thing he talks about is the fight. Perseverance, fight the good fight, agonize, do everything you can to be in the fight. 
And so right after he says, avoid these things, pursue these things, and now he says, fight, 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 <laughs> okay? And it's almost like, like one of the things you do when you're conditioning for a sport is you try to make everything more harsh than the game will be. And there's a point in the game that you're doing all your training for. And that's when the game is on the line. Everybody wants to give up on both sides. Everybody's worn out. And there's nothing left in you. And you're ready to quit. And you can just hear Paul at this point saying, Don't you dare quit. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare be weary and well-doing. Keep fighting. Stay in the game. Fight through it. And that's why you train so hard in boxing and wrestling and you know every sport you play, you agonize through practice so you'll have the endurance to make it to the end. And how many know there have been a lot of people that quit right before the end? And the great teams, the great ones that have learned how to fight, they're the ones that are the strongest at the very end. In fact, they finish well because they're getting stronger and guess what the opponent's doing? Giving up and getting weaker. And church, I don't want a church that the enemy is getting stronger and we're getting weaker. In fact, it talks about, you know, um, the parable of the, of the wise and foolish virgins. It said uh, some of them were wise because they were full. Of the anointing oil. The other ones were foolish because they ran out. And can I tell you something? When you're full of the Holy Spirit and you've learned to deal with life in the presence of God, you've learned how to dig into God's Word to become strong, you've been through trials. How many know that you can't be what God's calling you to be unless you've been through hard times? And the way that you dealt with those hard times is you got deeper in the Word and you got deeper in His presence. And boy, when I've been through, let's, let's be honest, if I've been through a toothache and I've trusted God, some say, well, man, that's impossible. How would you do that? I don't understand. Or I've been through, you know, a mild sickness and trusted God. Or I've been through relationship issues with family and I've trusted God. And then, boy, God, I trusted you. Now why are you bringing something worse? Okay, now I lost my job. Now I don't have any money. Now I don't have this. Now I don't have that. How many know that God is testing us? Because He wants us to get stronger. He wants to learn. How many have ever taken solace in the Word of God and just looked for things that would help you through? Like I've had situations where I was hemmed in on every side and I had to stay there for several years. You know, couldn't do anything about it. Just had to stay there and I had to find God's Word to strengthen me. I had to get into His presence. Uh, how many have ever been full of anxiety and fear and doubts and the hardest of times, and you had to stay in a prayer room until you walked out? And when you walked out, there was no anxiety. You felt like Superman. You felt like everything was perfect. You felt like the peace of God was all over you. And if you haven't done that, you might not even be in the fight. You might not even be in the fight. You might not even be a fight for the enemy. I mean, you might just walk in. You might be like just one of those bums that just rolls over every time something hard happens. Because here's the thing. 
It's not like the movies where, you know, they're, they're in the saloon and the guy hits the guy one time and he's knocked out the rest of the show. How many of you have noticed that? In the movies, they just hit him one time and they're all knocked out for the rest of the movie. You don't ever see him again. Nobody's following him anymore. There's one punch. Um, it's not like that. If you're going to win a fight, you know, you're going to take a lot of punches. You know, you're going to have to take some. You're going to have to give some. You're going to have to have endurance. And so what God's trying to do is He's trying to help us learn to be strong through His Word and through His presence. And then guess what's going to happen when that fourth quarter comes? And, 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 and we're in, trying to endure till the end? Um, when the world um, just is chaotic and out of whack, it says we're going to shine like the sun in the middle of the day. Because we've learned how to be strong in the fourth quarter. We've learned how to finish strong. We've learned how to go through every trial, every temptation. And here we are stronger than ever. And the enemy is saying, wait a minute, we're not going to win. They're too strong. Paul was too strong. You know, they couldn't break Paul. They would have loved to break Paul. Paul was in a prison because Nero went crazy. All right, Peter and Paul were in prison and they couldn't break him. By killing Paul and Peter, guess what happened? Church exploded. It was uh, the blood of the saints that is the seed of the church. And they just grew like crazy. Now here's the last thing I want to say. Paul tells them to fight the good fight to grab a hold of eternity. So my next question that Paul's asking to fight the good fight is, what are you fighting for? I mean, there's a lot of things in life I've fought for, right? I've fought by somebody saying something the wrong way. Or somebody looking at me the wrong way. Or somebody, you know... How many know those aren't good reasons to fight? (laughs) Okay? Those aren't good reasons to fight. But Paul's saying... Your fight is grabbing hold of eternity. It says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Church, this is the prize that we talk about. When we say keep your eyes on the prize, how many know the fight is grabbing a hold of eternity and not letting go? And he says, until, don't let go of it, he says, until the appearing of your Lord Jesus. I'll tell you two times you'll see the appearing of the Lord Jesus. When you die, if you grab a hold of it, when you die, guess the first thing I'm going to see on the other side of eternity? His glory and His appearing. Right? The rapture, guess what I'm going to see? The glory of His appearing. Hallelujah. So this is the prize. He says, seeking those things which are above. So how do I fight a good fight? I fight for eternity. I'm not fighting for the things of this world. I'm not fighting for the things in this world. My eyes are fully focused on fighting and grabbing hold of that prize. Hallelujah. Now I can close. The reason I would speak this message is because the Lord was just telling me there's a delusionment. A delusionment of the fight. What I mean by that is, sometimes when we hear fight, we say we're going to be able to turn the whole culture around. And in order to win, we define that as a revival so big that we turn our country around and the country is living for God and we're going to win that fight. Can I tell you something? When Abraham 
was grabbing a hold of eternity and God was making the promises to Abraham. How many know He was doing it within the kingdom of Nimrod in His lifetime? He didn't win the fight over the kingdoms of this world, but He did gain eternity and win the battle against sin and death. How many know that when Elijah was ministering, does anybody know the culture and the background when Elijah was ministering? He was serving under King Ahab and Jezebel, which is the most wicked kingdom that Israel had ever had. Okay, he didn't win the battle against the kingdoms of this world. He won the battle with sin and death. All right, we move forward a little bit. We look at um, Paul. Paul is saying, fight the good fight, fight it to the end. How many know Paul did not win the battle against the kingdoms of this world because Rome cut his head off. Peter, the same thing. He was in the same imprisonment under Nero. How many know that when Jesus walked on this earth, they asked Him that very question. They asked Him if He was a king in this world and what did He say? My kingdom is not of this world. How many know that He didn't overthrow the Roman government but He absolutely won the battle over sin and death. Our focus in our fight is the victory over sin and death. Our fight ends whenever we see the appearing of Jesus Christ. Church, we can't stop fighting for one second, for one moment. My life is going to be characterized by a person who wears the armor of God, has a mission for Jesus Christ, and my fight is over sin, death, Uh, eternal life is in our hands right now church we got to get up every day and fight the good fight and when we die they need to pry the sword from our hand because we did it till the very last day our fight is not against the governments of the united states our fight is not against the governments of the world our fight is not against the un you're going to be disillusioned If you think that's how you have a successful fight, the fight is getting up every day, looking in the mirror, tapping the wall and say, fight like a champion today. Today I'm going to do what God's called me to do and I'm going to do it till the last day. I'm on this earth and then I'm going to see Him in His presence. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I just want to take some time here. Um, as they're getting ready, we're just going to take some time. Paul, when he was with the Ephesian elders, one of the things he said is he told them to examine themselves first. How many know that? We've got to examine ourselves. And what I want you to do today is I just want you to examine yourselves. How many know that's important? We can fight a thousand battles out there for everybody else and sometimes never look at ourselves. And so I'm asking you today, are you a good fight? Are you in the fight? Do you know where the fight's at? Are you aggressively running into the fight um, every day and being a part of it? One of it is what I'm fighting, what I'm running away from. I'm being a fugitive to sin. Another one is my fighting for righteousness. In fact, when people are around you, are you in that fight for righteousness and godliness and and love and faith and perseverance and in church, I just want you to examine yourself. Find a place and just say, God, I want to get up every morning. I want to slap that spiritual wall and say, fight like a champion today, Chad. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. And we need to know that. You say, well, you, we hire you to be the man of God. 
<laughs> I'm not. That's not what I am. My job is to make you men and women of God because you're the ones taking the message out to everybody. And we've got to train you for works of ministry. How many know that? Hallelujah. So find a place and just commit yourself. If you need prayer, um, that's what we're here for, to pray. So if you need prayer for anything, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, uh, we're here for you. So find a place to pray. battlefronts like fighting the good fight and these are all battlefronts and you know the Lord is responsible for the victory and you say well man you know what I've been struggling with certain things for a long time my question is are you still fighting that's all God asks from us is just be in the fight because there are times I can tell you from being a coach that there are games that look like you're not going to win. It looks you're out. Looks like you're out. And you know those are the most memorable games ever when there is a comeback and it looks like it's impossible. And at the very end, you win. Or there are times when you fight and you're a perennial loser. There are times your team loses every time. But they have fight. They learn how to fight. And I've always told my kids, one of the greatest things you can have is somebody that is better than you. Because then you have an ability to work and get better. And how many know there's sometimes you're a perennial loser and there's not a greater team to watch than the team that was a perennial loser and now they're starting to win. They're learning how to fight learning how to win. And how many know that God has guaranteed in this battle victory? I've never been with a team that I was guaranteed victory. I always thought it was possible. I always thought we could do it. But how many know we're guaranteed victory on all these battlefronts? The things we're running away from, we're fleeing from, victory. Righteousness, victory. Godliness, victory. Love, faith, steadfastness, victory, and all God asks us to do is to put up a good fight to the end. Hallelujah. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we uh, thank you, Lord, for the words of Paul, Lord. We uh, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that everybody here would take it to heart, Lord God, when they wake up in the morning. Let them fight a good fight, Lord, every day, Lord. It would be a great fight, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Almighty work in us, Lord. 